Chapter fifty three of David Copperfield. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tig Hines. David Copperfield by Charles Dickens. Chapter fifty three. Another retrospect. I must pause yet once again. Oh, my child wife, there is a figure in the moving crowd before my memory, quiet and still saying in its innocent love and childish beauty stop to think of me turn to look upon the little blossom as it flutters to the ground i do all else grows dim and fades away i am again with dora in our cottage i do not know how long she has been ill i am so used to it in feeling that i cannot count the time it is not really long in weeks or months but in my usage and experience it is a weary weary while they have left off telling me to wait a few days more. I have begun to fear remotely that the day may never shine when I shall see my child-wife running in the sunlight with her old friend Jip. He is, as it were, suddenly grown very old. It may be that he misses in his mistress something that enlivened him and made him younger, but he mopes and his sight is weak and his limbs are feeble, and my aunt is sorry that he objects to her no more, but creeps nearer as he lies on Dora's bed, she sitting at the bedside and mildly licks her hand. Dora lies smiling on us, and is beautiful, and utters no hasty or complaining word. She says that we are very good to her, that her dear old careful boy is tiring himself out, she knows, that my aunt has no sleep, yet is always wakeful, active, and kind. Sometimes the little bird-like ladies come to see her, and then we talk about our wedding day and all that happy time. What a strange rest and pause in my life there seems to be, and in all life, within doors and without, when I sit in the quiet, shaded, orderly room with the blue eyes of my child-wife turned towards me, and her little fingers twining round my hand. Many and many an hour I sit thus, but of all those times, three times come the freshest to my mind. It is morning, and Dora, made so trim by my aunt's hands, shows me how her pretty hair will curl upon the pillow yet, and how long and bright it is, and how she likes to have it loosely gathered in the net she wears. Not that I am vain of it now, you mocking boy, she says when I smile, but because you used to say you thought it so beautiful, and because, when I first began to think about you, I used to peep in the glass and wonder whether you would like very much to have a lock of it. Oh, what a foolish fellow you were, Dodie, when I gave you one. That was the day when you were painting the flowers I had given you, Dora, and when I told you how much in love I was. Ah, but I didn't like to tell you, says Dora, then how I cried over them, because I believed you really liked me. When I can run about again, as I used to do, Dodie, let us go and see those places where we were such a silly couple, shall we? And take some of the old walks, and not forget poor papa. Yes, we will, and have some happy days. So you must make haste to get well, my dear. Oh, I shall soon do that. I'm so much better, don't you know? It is evening, and I sit in the same chair, by the same bed, with the same face turned towards me. We have been silent, and there is a smile upon her face. I have ceased to carry my light burden up and down stairs now. She lies here all the day. Dodie, My dear Dora, you won't think what I am going to say unreasonable after what you told me such a little while ago of Mr. Wickfield's not being well. I want to see Agnes. Very much I want to see her. I shall write to her, my dear. Will you? Directly. What a good, kind boy. Dodie, take me on your arm. Indeed, my dear, it is not a whim. It is not a foolish fancy. I want very much indeed to see her. 
I am certain of it. I have only to tell her so, and she is sure to come.' "'You are very lonely when you go downstairs now,' Dora whispers with her arm about my neck. "'How can I be otherwise, my own love, when I see your empty chair?' "'My empty chair?' She clings to me for a little while in silence. "'And you really miss me, Dodie, looking up and brightly smiling. Even poor, giddy, stupid me. My heart, who is there on earth that I could miss so much?' Oh, husband, I am so glad, yet so sorry. Creeping closer to me and folding me in both her arms, she laughs and sobs, and then is quiet and quite happy. Quite, she says, only give Agnes my dear love and tell her that I want very, very much to see her, and I have nothing left to wish for. Except to get well again, Dora. Ah, Dodie, sometimes I think, you know I always was a silly little thing, that that will never be. Don't say so, Dora. Dearest love, don't think it. I won't if I can help it, Dodie. But I am very happy, though my dear boy is so lonely by himself before his child-wife's empty chair. It is night, and I am with her still. Agnes has arrived, has been among us for a whole day and an evening. She, my aunt, and I have sat with Dora since the morning altogether. We have not talked much, but Dora has been perfectly contented and cheerful. We are now alone. Do I know now that my child-wife will soon leave me? They have told me so. They have told me nothing new to my thoughts, but I am very far from sure that I have taken that truth to heart. I cannot master it. I have withdrawn by myself many times to-day to weep. I have remembered who wept for a parting between the living and the dead. I have bethought me of all that gracious and compassionate history. I have tried to resign myself and to console myself, and that I hope I may have done imperfectly. But what I cannot firmly settle in my mind is that the end will absolutely come. I hold her hand in mine, I hold her heart in mine. I see her love for me alive in all its strength. I cannot shut out a pale lingering shadow of belief that she will be spared. I am going to speak to you, Dodie. I am going to say something I have often thought of saying lately. You won't mind, with a gentle look. Mind, my darling, because I don't know what you will think, or what you may have thought sometimes. Perhaps you have often thought the same. Dodie, dear, I'm afraid I was too young. I lay my face upon the pillow by her, and she looks into my eyes and speaks very softly. Gradually, as she goes on, I feel with a stricken heart that she is speaking of herself as past. I am afraid, dear, I was too young. I don't mean in years only, but in experience and thoughts and everything. I was such a silly little creature. I am afraid it would have been better if we had only loved each other as a boy and girl and forgotten it. I have begun to think I was not fit to be a wife. I try to stay my tears and reply, Oh, Dora, my love, as fit as I to be a husband. I don't know, with the old shake of her curls. Perhaps. But if I had been more fit to be married, I might have made you more so, too. Besides, you are very clever, and I never was. We have been very happy, my sweet Dora. I was very happy, very. But, as years went on, my dear boy would have wearied of his child-wife. She would have been less and less a companion for him. He would have been more and more sensible of what was wanting in his home. She wouldn't have improved. It is better as it is. Oh, Dora! Dearest, dearest, do not speak to me so. Every word seems a reproach. 
"'No, not a syllable,' she answers, kissing me. "'Oh, my dear, you never deserved it, and I loved you far too well to say a reproachful word to you. In earnest, it was all the merit I had, except being pretty, or you thought me so. Is it lonely downstairs, Dodie?' "'Very, very.' "'Don't cry. Is my chair there?' "'In its old place. Oh, how my poor boy cries. Hush, hush now.' Make me one promise. I want to speak to Agnes. When you go downstairs, tell Agnes so, and send her up to me. And while I speak to her, let no one come, not even Aunt. I want to speak to Agnes by herself. I want to speak to Agnes quite alone. I promise that she shall immediately, but I cannot leave her for my grief. I said that it was better as it is, she whispers as she holds me in her arms. Oh, Dodie, after more years you could never have loved your child-wife better than you do, and after more years she would have tired and disappointed you, that you might not have been able to love her half so well. I know I was too young and foolish. It is much better as it is. Agnes is downstairs when I go into the parlour and I give her the message. She disappears, leaving me alone with Jip. His Chinese house is by the fire, and he lies within it in his bed of flannel, querulously trying to sleep. The bright moon is high and clear. As I look out on the night, my tears fall fast, and my undisciplined heart is chastened heavily, heavily. I sit down by the fire, thinking with a blind remorse of all those secret feelings I have nourished since my marriage. I think of every little trifle between me and Dora, and I feel the truth that trifles make the sum of life. Ever rising from the sea of my remembrance is the image of the dear child as I knew her first, graced by my young love and by her own, with every fascination wherein such love is rich. Would it indeed have been better if we had loved each other as boy and girl and forgotten it? Undisciplined heart, reply. How the time wears I know not, until I am recalled by my child-wife's old companion. More restless than he was, he crawls out of his house, and looks at me, and wanders to the door, and whines to go upstairs. Not to-night, Jip, not to-night. He comes very slowly back to me, licks my hand, and lifts his dim eyes to my face. Oh, Jip, it may be never again. He lies down at my feet, stretches himself out as if to sleep, and, with a plaintive cry, is dead. Oh, Agnes, look, look here! That face so full of pity and grief, that rain of tears, that awful mute appeal to me, that solemn hand upraised towards heaven. Agnes! It is over. Darkness comes before my eyes, and for a time all things are blotted out of my remembrance. End of chapter 53